You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super duper duper excited to have Jessica Vos on the phone with us to talk about building content strategy from scratch. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, Jessica, before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are? Yeah, you bet. So I've been working in tech marketing or communications in some form or format for about over 15 years. I started my career at a small consultancy in San Francisco and did a lot of tech communications consulting, mostly for sales teams and internal communications consulting at that time for huge companies at a little firm called SNP Communications, which still exists. You guys should check them out. They're awesome. And then from there, I went, I did a master's program over in Europe because I knew I wanted to work internationally, came back, worked in-house at Oracle, which was one of my accounts at that time, and had a great time doing sales comms, internal comms, associated projects like that, and actually ended up transitioning into their events content strategy team. That was kind of my first dipping of my toe into content strategy. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But from there, from Oracle, I actually made the move into cybersecurity. I worked for a company named Silence, Endpoint Security Company, made a huge splash. Then from Silence, BlackBerry actually acquired us. And yes, BlackBerry does still exist and apparently had $1.6 billion on hand to acquire that company. So I ended up at BlackBerry for a little while. And then from there, I went to a company called Safe Breach, which was breach and attack simulation, which was a fun emerging category in, in security. And these days, as of just a few weeks ago, I'm now the vice president of growth marketing for Zimperium in the mobile security world. So I've bounced around a little bit from you know different tech companies. Now I'm very, very happy in security and exploring every possible category of security. Only other person I know from silence is Melissa McCready. Do you know her? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I know Melissa. We worked together. Yeah, we definitely overlapped for, for a while there. And we actually worked pretty closely together right before she, she stepped out. So... Fantastic. Well, and it's interesting. And this is what I keep telling people about this podcast. Like once you've done a few episodes, you're going to actually start to connect with people because the folks from BlackBerry were on the podcast talking about their rebrand or refresh. And they were actually talking about like how much effort it was to take to lift a company that had such rich history to get to this to this point. And and it was very insight insightful, like the way they were actually talking about how they broke the pieces down and like brought a new narrative into the marketplace. Super duper interesting. Anyways, for folks that are interested in listening to that podcast, check out our webpage or and, and actually check out our LinkedIn page. Uh, it's Sunny Side Up Media, and we're, and we're posting these podcasts every day. But let's talk about content strategy. This one is still a little personal to me because I'll get writer's block, then I get thinker's block, and then just block. And I literally just go take a nap after that. And when I wake up, maybe I have an idea, maybe I don't. But this is my state of situation. I'm sure there's other people that go through this as well. And, and content now feels like a little bit of a scary thing because everybody talks about like mission-driven companies and you know what you put out there is who you are, mm-hmm. which is all true, but yeah. it doesn't have to be scary. So... Tell us 
what is content strategy first? Because we like to define things before we dive into them. Yes, I'm big on defining things before we dive into talking about them. So from my perspective, I actually like this definition from a company called Market News. They say content strategy is the ongoing process of transforming business objectives and goals into a plan. And I say, and stories that use content as a primary means of achieving those goals. And the reason I love that definition so much is because it ties it back to the fact that the content strategy, the content marketing tactic and arm of the marketing organization has to align first and foremost to the business objectives and goals. Otherwise, utterly, it will fail. You'll be producing a lot of really sexy, wonderful, exciting content in formats and in places that you think are just awesome and nobody will care. And certainly your business won't care and they won't continue to invest in it. It'll fall flat on its face. So I love that definition from from Market News uh, particularly. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, they think, okay, content, great. So that's, you know, like blogs, they think social media content, white papers, collateral, particularly for B2B, right? It's just like this endless black hole of collateral, which nobody ever thinks is sexy. (laughs) Um, But everybody in marketing, their aim is to inform, educate, inspire, and differentiate, and then enable their customers. And the only way you do that is through having really, really well-organized, well-targeted content that actually tells the story about why your company does it better. So yeah, I'm, I'm big on that definition. I'm big on sort of making sure that you're always starting from scratch and doing the consensus building on exactly what are our objectives? What are we trying to achieve? What are the goals? And you know, then of course, the very important, who the heck are we trying to sell to? <laughs> That is always the big one. You know, people get lost uh, chasing revenue and uh, and then they, they get bad revenue and then they have to offboard bad revenue. And uh, yeah. it's uh, it's painful. It's, yeah. it's, it's really, really painful. That's a cycle for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So then like some people would say, then what's the definition of content? You know, yes. and so maybe it's, it's worth double clicking on that one and just saying yep. to define content, we have to say that obviously content is information and that information is relevant in a given context. And then that context and the content and the information has a form that is shaped by sort of that medium through which it is transmitted, right? This is just like basic communications theory 101 with Alexander Graham Bell and, and you know, yep, the, yep. the whole theory of it. So you really have to dive into each of those kind of areas. And, and we can talk a little bit about how you do that in the form of taxonomies, metadata tagging, and mapping all of this to your sales funnel. But it's really important to make sure that you're identifying that you have to have the information. You have to understand that context. You have to have a menu of all of the different forms or formats that you produce. And then you have to have a pretty comprehensive understanding of all of the mediums or the media through which you are transmitting that information. Love it. So let's dive into that because that is, I feel like for the executives that are listening to this, and again, this podcast is for go-to-market and data science executives. And the reason why we do this podcast is so people can understand the frameworks so that when they go into their colleagues' meetings, they actually understand what they're talking about because they understand the mental model or the framework. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, from my perspective, again, taking that definition of content strategy, I'm really big on the serious decisions integrated marketing framework, where you're really starting at the top with sort of brand and awareness, 
you start with the brand hierarchy messaging about what the company is and what it does and why it's the best. But then you layer underneath that a very strong understanding of what your product roadmap entails and when you're going to be releasing and when you're going to be launching. And beneath that, I mean, it's analyst, it's PR, it's AR, and aligning to those areas of sort of the very top awareness level and also the product level, then you begin to design the programs. And again, this is, again, the tactic or the mediums the media that you're using. And from those programs, once you have that in place, then it becomes very readily, apparently, how you can put together a list of the content you're going to need to feed those programs. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. You said, use the word taxonomy, you use metadata, use tagging. I feel like you've got the five steps, right? Like, so share the five steps with us. There's a lot entailed in all of that. So, okay, yeah. So you start with that serious decisions framework, right? You have an understanding of what the programs are that are going to drive awareness around your brand and around the product. And then you have your personas and you have your use cases. And hopefully your programs are designed to reach those personas with those use cases. And that's, again, that list of content you need to put together. But at the same time, you need to have an inventory. I mean, if you're lucky, like I was at Silence and I came in and there was a huge inventory of content already. And yes, that's a double-edged sword because you're like, oh my God, there's so much. We have no single system of record that tells us what all this content is, what it's designed to do, who wrote it, when it was last updated, all of those things. So you need to do an inventory and figure out what are the formats you produce. And that's what quickly becomes that taxonomy. A taxonomy is basically just a grid that shows you what different types of content you produce, what they are purpose built to achieve in terms of goals, who they are best suited for. So that's, you know, your personas. I'm not a white paper person, but a lot of C-level executives are white paper people. Now, generally, I have found that lower level, they're more practitioners enjoy the videos and the infographics more than the white papers. So you have to kind of determine based on the reporting and analytics of your inventory, if you have them, which formats are best and purpose built for those personas that you're trying to reach. And again, this taxonomy is this grid of all the formats that you produce, what they are best intended to achieve and who they're intended to be driven to. And then from there, you're going to have a list of different metadata tags. So basically data about the data. So industries, personas, use cases, the list can go on and on about how many different ways you want to be able to identify and filter your content for what you're going to use it for. And that's what that taxonomy really allows you to do. Fantastic. And so building this framework or I guess internalizing this framework, right? Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I'm hesitating speaking is because I want to make sure people realize this stuff takes time. Oh my God, it takes time. And you can't just be like, hey, get me all this content, get me all these ads. It's like, if you don't think this thing through, you're going to put garbage out and and there's going to be there's not going to be any results. So if you're an executive that's not used to working with content teams, you've got to encourage them and get involved with them. I'll give you an example. At DemandBase, we actually, when I work with the content team, I actually volunteer my time to help them think things through, mm-hmm. right? It's not my job, yep. but if I don't encourage and if I start being the other person, right, then then they feel squeezed. And when they feel squeezed, then the infographics look all jumbled up, right? 
And so, so this is a call out to all the executives that are listening to this, like spend time with your content teams, but help them with subject matter expertise so that they can connect the personas to the use cases, to the outcomes, and then let the, give them space to create that content for you because they're experts at understanding what types of content go with which level of folks. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two really, really good points in there, which is A, you should be very, very cautious if you're the ones constantly feeding your content and your marketing team, the ideas for new content. That's an immediate red flag because they should be the ones telling you what's going to work, what's going to perform in the context of the programs and in the context of the plans you've built per that serious decisions integrated marketing framework. The second point you made is also an incredibly valuable one. On the on the flip side, I mean, there's nothing that a content marketer loves more than understanding exactly who our subject matter experts are across the board within an organization. Who do I go to for our position and our subject matter expertise on ransomware? For instance, I'm in security, so I'm going to use security examples here. Yep, who yep. is our primary expert on mobile security or mobile threats? Who is testing the lines of what's going on right now with penetration testing or the overall threat landscape? These are the things that your content marketing and your overall marketing team need to know. It's absolutely worth it to go through the exercise of documenting this like, and understanding maybe even just, hey, raise your hand if you'd like for us to reach out to you and <laughs> and interrogate you and interview you about these topics like please yep. list the topics you can be a, a voice for us on so let's talk about the roles in a content team right and i say this because again the other teams like you know in a product marketing team you're going to have product marketers product analysts etc cetera, etc cetera, right yeah. in mm -hmm. an engineering team you have like product managers engineers quality control folks right or support teams right yeah uh, and and then you have it right so like i don't know if the general populace understands the different roles on a content team. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I think it varies massively. It, it varies depending on the level of, you know, investment resource, executive sponsorship, how well the executive team, the CMO and marketing leadership understand the value of content. But I think some of the very core elements are, and the ones that have worked particularly well for me in the past, an editor-in-chief. So literally, somebody who reads and reviews for consistency of tone, grammar, style, every single word that is produced by the marketing organization that's going to go outside the doors. It's a huge job. That person also maintains and updates the uh, messaging guidelines that are a huge part of the brand guidelines. So they make sure that everyone understands we use these terms, but we do not use these terms. This is how you spell cybersecurity, or is it two words? Is it one word? <laughs> Those types of things, just to ensure there's a level of consistency across the board. Writer teams, this is a second category. Uh, this one varies massively across the board because lots of people really prefer the freelance model because you can find great writers who are easy to brief, but they're really, really good at certain formats, but they're not necessarily great at sort of multiple different formats. You just really love a writer for case studies. You really love a writer for web copy, landing page copy, ad copy. You really love a writer for email copy. And it's hard to find a single writer who does all of those things well. There are writers who will say they'll do all of those things, but hard to find a writer who does all of those things well. So you really want to make sure 
depending again on that taxonomy and the different varieties of formats that you produce and the ones that perform best, that you are building a team of writers who can help to support those efforts with their skill sets. And then for me, near, near, near and dear to my heart, especially in recent (laughs) roles, marketing ops has to be a very good friend of the content marketing team. And the reason I say that for so many other reasons too, but the reason I say that is because I think in my experience, there's still sort of this holy grail of content reporting in terms of the customer journey, in terms of impact and influence on the sales funnel that we're just not there yet in terms of something that is easy to set up, easy to ingest and easy to derive the insights from. You know, I think a content marketer is always looking to understand which content's performing best, like what are the keywords, what are the themes, and then what formats are performing best at which stages in the sales cycle to really drive conversion down the funnel, right? That's what every content marketer wants to know. And that is not, that is not a fool's errand. Like that is a very important thing, but you need time, you need attention from the marketing ops team, and you need to make sure that everything you're doing is well integrated in, in the stack to get that data. Fantastic. I'm going to give a shout out to Mr. Brian Clevenger, who is the VP of Corporate Marketing <laughs> at, at Blackberry. Blackberry. Yeah. Yes. He was on the show. And I specifically, like after the show, talked to him about copywriting. And he gave me this book called Concept and Copy by George Felton. Okay. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving a shout out to this book because copywriting is an art, right? And there's a science behind it too. But folks like myself that have no business writing copy, right? And that are looking to learn how to write copy, I asked I asked uh, Brian, and I'm like, Brian, you got to give me one resource. I'm about to go to vacation, on vacation, and I would like to read something. Mm-hmm. And then Brian was like, this is the number one book. Also, if you are a copyright enthusiast outside of connecting with Jessica, definitely ping Brian. It, he like loves, loves, loves copywriting. Of all the people that have been on my podcast, I've never seen somebody so passionate about just copywriting and tone and verbiage. And like, like th- this guy was unbelievable about this. So let's talk about lessons learned. And I'm sure that you got to where you are because of some learnings along the way. And then now you have a feel for it. And we're all a product of the environments that we've been in. So any lessons learned that where people are, that people should know of as they think about their content strategy? Yeah, I mean, there's a ton. Obviously, like go through the exercise of putting together that integrated marketing framework where you have a six and a 12 month plan and an outlook of what needs to be produced and and the role that it's intended to serve. Make sure you've got that taxonomy and that that taxonomy is built based on a really strong inventory of your content. I would say don't forget to create a process for making sure your content gets updated. Because in that process, you realize you shouldn't produce too much content if you have to update all of it. (laughs) It helps you to kind of control the numbers of different formats you're producing. And, and, you know, blogs are one thing because blogs, everyone understands those will age and probably in most cases won't be updated over time. But white papers, you know, infographics, solution briefs, data sheets, like all of the classic collateral web pages, all of that stuff has to stay updated, has to stay fresh. And, you know, if there's any sort of churn, 
the new person who has to take it over doesn't write the same way, doesn't, you know, create content the same way as the last one. So you have to have a system for making sure your content will be refreshed at the right intervals, the right cadences for the format. So always keep that in mind as well. And then I would say it's really, really worthwhile to take the time to educate folks and drill into the role that content is playing in your customer journey and educate folks about how important it is because you're going to need sponsorship at all levels within the organization to get the resources you need to continue to generate enough content to feed your programs and to feed your activities. Um, Because if you don't do that work and you don't educate everyone on exactly what the role that content is playing in your greater and broader marketing strategy, you're going to be dead in the water because you won't be able to get the writers, you won't be able to get the resources, the design resources. We didn't even talk about the design team. Um, (laughs) That's a huge one if you can get an in-house design team and those resources as well. Yeah, I would say having gone through this experience and like Demand Matrix was acquired by Demand Base. I mean, it's public knowledge, right? But the thing that I learned on this journey is the importance of in-house design teams. And you can keep pushing that in-house decision down the road, but what's going to suffer is the context those those design teams need oh, yeah. to create amazing design. Right? Oh, yeah. Right? And I mean, you can create a taxonomy and be like, these are the different formats we yes. create. But if you don't have strong brand guidelines, yep. you don't have great governance around those brand guidelines, and you're not creating consistent formats based on templates that a really skilled designer can help you to develop, you're just constantly spinning your wheels inefficiently. So I agree. I I just, when I was at Silence, we had an insane wealth of designers and they were very talented and great to work with. I have missed it ever since. <laughs> yeah. So I got to ask you for advice personally, right? Because, and I'm sure other people go through this too, that are not in marketing and specific in content, right? Sometimes, and at least my, in my case, most of the times, right? I'm thinking that, gosh, if I've got to create all this content and going to put all this energy in stuff, like what guarantee do I have that it's actually even going to work? What are some tips from your side to like pacify that anxiety? I think, again, if you do your homework, you're going to generate content that people want to pay attention to. But it, you have to understand who your target personas are. Yep. You have to understand very intently what the use cases are that people prefer to use your technology for. And then you design the content around that and you make the formats engaging. But I would say err on the side of less words on a page and spend more time outlining than you spend writing content. Make sure that you do the proper outlines that are designed and constantly keep that persona and those use cases in mind. And constantly keep in mind the brand message about how you're differentiated and what makes you unique. And your content will will follow that and it will perform if you're doing those things. Yeah. The one piece of advice that has stuck with me for a bit around, around this topic is making sure that you understand the personalities of people that are going to read, right? If some people only like, you know, and, and this is actually, I'll give a shout out to Mitch Briggs, the guy from Demandwell, who actually taught me this, but it was super duper interesting because he said, look, like you're going to put some content out. Awesome. There's some people that only have 30 seconds of attention spent. You got to hit them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people that would really want empirical evidence they're yep. going to go through the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. So write in that manner so that the 30-second folks get what they need up front. 
the five minute folks get get what they need up front, uh, later on the people that really 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 are going to go and uh, do some detective work on their stuff that they can click to the different places yep. and get that content right yeah and then yeah. when you design it like that it fits the personality and uh, personalities and and your content starts to 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 take uh to build momentum yeah i would say don't let your content tell you what format it should be in right you need to think again as you're pointing out who is the personality of of the what is the personality of the person who's going to be ingesting that content are they an infographic yes. person are they a threat report person are they a technical brief person are they a white paper person are they a webinar person are they an in-person webinar person or are they an on-demand webinar person? Yep. <laughs> and the same content can therefore be sort of produced in derivative formats. So you can take one great piece of content, break it into five different formats easily. And that's a really much more scalable model than saying like, great, we've got this great piece of content. We're going to write this white paper. It's going to take us five months and then we're just going to have a white paper. Remember that five months worth of content work should produce probably five to seven different formats for different personalities and personas. Yes. And I know you've shared some tips around this already, but if I'm starting from scratch, how do I quickly find out, like, what are the growth hacks, I guess, like, of what people, what my personas like to read? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I'm not sure I have a really intelligent answer to that one. Um, I think the Content Marketing Institute does a really good job of identifying some of that. But I would generally, you want to be doing competitive analysis and understanding what other companies within your space are producing in terms of those formats and what sort of the keywords are and any SEO efforts will obviously help with those and sort of figuring that out. But beyond that, there's probably some documentation, but I wouldn't rely too much on the stereotypes about your sales engineers or your web developers only want to ingest content in these formats. I mean, there's so many different, I mean, podcasts alone, right? Or yep. in their own format. Like what are the personalities and the personas of people who in actually ingest podcast content? They're manifold. <laughs> Because it depends on what the subject yes. matter of yes. the podcast is, right? So again, it's really about trying to find people not only where they're looking, but what they're looking for. And if you have a unique point of view, then it can translate no matter what the format and what the medium is, as long as you're sort of communicating what's differentiated. I, I feel like, Jessica, you need to write a blog on content market fit. <laughs> I'm sure that already exists. This is my assumption always. This may be also the content marketer in me. That already exists. We're not yeah, going to do not, that. But it's not updated. You know, we both know it's not updated. <laughs> so. Exactly. But it's not up to date. But something exists. I'm going to pull right. five things together and I'll produce right. an and ebook. Then, and put it, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> and then let's call all of our friends. We know Melissa McGrady. We know Brian Pemisher. <laughs> yeah. Like have them all write a chapter. Bam. You got it. There you go. Now. There you go. We have a plan. Okay. This is great. And so... As we transition to the next part of the podcast, we always ask our guests to give us a resource, maybe a book, a blog, a newsletter, a website, or a video that could help our audience with this topic. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of, this there's one that's near and dear to me because I really was formally trained by the team at a company called Post, which was content marketing platform that we procured. We implemented at Silence. 
it was totally life-changing for me because just going through the onboarding process with these guys, they were like ninja content marketers who trained me and taught me almost everything that I know. Those guys were acquired by a company called Upland, which is a very, very yep. large uh, yep. parent company. But they still exist and they have they have their own area of the, the Upland blog that I would recommend everyone check out. The UplandSoftware.com blog backslash Kapost, K-A-P-O-S-T. I'd check that guy out because um, those guys really know what they're talking about. And, and they had it down to an incredible engine. Again, I'm going to have to throw out the Serious Decisions Integrated Marketing Framework. So go check that out on Forrester.com. Um, because that one is, you know, the mother of all foundations for everything you guys should be doing related to content strategy. And then HubSpot Academy, you can't beat it because <laughs> it's free and they've got some great yep. resources also for content yep. marketing, content strategy. And then the Content Marketing Institute, these guys focus really heavily on the writing aspect and the content generation, content creation sides of things. And uh, they've been around for a long time. They do a great job. And they actually have a really excellent annual conference that I've attended in the past as well. Fantastic. We always ask our guests to name three people in B2B tech who are either in go-to-market or data science that we should bring on to the show and learn from. So do you have some names for us? I've got two names for you. So uh, my former friend and VP, Tracy Strauss, who was my VP at Silence, um, she's now actually the CMO at a company called Clovers, and I would recommend Tracy. She's a lot of fun. She's also really, really knowledgeable, and she does a great job on especially the pipeline reporting side of things. She's She was always the, the voice of my conscience <laughs> in the back of my head. And then probably the closest thing that I have to a work mother uh, who made me into the human that I am today. I mentioned the first company I ever worked for is a little consultancy in San Francisco called SNP Communications. Maureen Taylor is the uh, CEO and co-founder of that agency, and she's badass. She taught me almost everything I know, and I owe her a million zillion times over for this Fantastic. state of my career. So, And now you're helping 7,000 other people that are listening to this podcast. So the gift just keeps going on, yeah. which is super awesome. Yeah. Well, great. Now, those uh, people sound fantastic. And uh, there is an idea brewing inside of the Sunnyside Up Media team that we would actually have group podcasts. So we may actually just bring a few people together and, and maybe actually bring this group together, bring you back a little bit. And it's a little bit of history, a little bit of the past, and a little bit of the present, and a little bit of the future. So I would let's, love let's see it. how that happens. Call me any old time. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. If folks have a question for you, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? You guys can reach out to me on LinkedIn. You'll find me if you search under Jessica Vos. And again, I'm currently the vice president of growth marketing at Zimperium. So you'll find me there. Uh, you can also email me at jessica.p, as in Peter, dot Vos, V-O-S-E at gmail.com. Those are probably the two easiest ways to get in touch with me. Um, you can also find me on Twitter if you want to search for me there, although I mostly share the plight of being a cybersecurity marketer with two small children and just bitch about random random things. <laughs> I wouldn't say my Twitter feed is all that content marketing book. That's all right. Yeah, I mean, again, I'll, again I'm positive to say this, but if you're an executive and you're going to build relationships with other executives, which is the number one advice everybody gives to people when they become VPs, right? Have to know the whole person and appreciate the whole person. 
just, you know. Yes, the, but what if it, half of the person is like psychopath who just, I, you know, I just bitches say, endlessly I, about steaming green beans while her children are screaming from the bedroom? <laughs> I, I, there's also a saying called you can't fix crazy, so you just got to let some things go. <laughs> yeah, that that is a truth. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on this show. This was super awesome. There's lots of takeaways. I always, I, I've actually started taking notes, so I'll show this to you because, I mean, the audience is not going to see us, but Jessica is on video with me, so she <laughs> that, can take a look at I will tell the, everybody who cannot see it that that is the scrawling of a madman. You guys should not trust <laughs> the host of this podcast. <laughs> we have awesome, awesome editors, and they will do a fantastic job, as they always do, to summarize the, these notes and, and put them out there. But thank you so much for spending time with us, and best of luck on your journey. You bet. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.